So tonight is um, the animals are calling to us, being supported in ways we don't recognize. And when we start this, I always like to say, this is a council of all beings. We're humans here together, talking together, but it's really all beings are invited in, in whatever form of energy they want to come. So I'm just going to start off with the Tibetan bowl for a moment to bring us all together to one place. So one of the things I hope for for this conversation is that we are explorers together, pushing at the edges of, of knowledge, um, adding what we each can to the human journey. So I start with a pretty simple question, but I think we often don't go deep enough with simple questions. When I was looking at pictures, and you might have seen this too, pictures of the shelters with Hurricane Harvey, you could see pictures of shelters where there were just people, and you could see pictures of shelters where there are people with their pets. And even across the virtual world, there was something that came across in the shelter where people had their pets. There was some kind of extra warmth. Um, people seemed more soothed more in touch. It was very vivid and tangible to me. Now most of us understand that if we were in a storm shelter and lost everything and we had our pets with us, I don't love the word pets, um, that's what was used there, but our companion animals with us, we would feel better. We say they love us, but there's something much more going on. What is it that makes us feel soothed? What is it that makes us feel um, better. I think we don't ask these questions enough. It's clear that, say, my dog or my cat or my bird to me loves me. That's a very specific kind of love, specific for me. But the question for tonight is, is there something much larger? And this particular deep connection that you might have with a particular animal is really an expression of something much larger where we're being supported in ways we don't really tune into often. And what a terrible shame that is, if it were true. Is it actually true that perhaps um, beyond the circle of human existence and our own specific focus on our needs and our being loved by our particular animal, um, is a whole lot of love and support, not perhaps in the, like the immediate vivid sense that we typically experience, but a larger, for lack of a better word, I don't know if it's spiritual, but a larger type of love that starts with the animals closest to us. But I'm beginning to think that lovingness is a natural element of the universe itself, expressed in different ways and different levels of intensity, and, and we tune into it in different ways. So, um, do animals support us and does nature support us in ways we don't understand? My, one of the first major changes in my life came when somebody threw a bag of cats out on the highway when I was going to school in Kentucky and one of them ambled kittens, ambled onto my land. And I always loved animals but wasn't specially attached to cats. And within a few hours that cat was on my chest purring 
and I was totally lost in love and I've never loved as deeply before. And something about that changed me. That was for me. And later I'd love to hear your stories about it. I haven't talked, I don't think I wrote a story about Gigi the Grouse, a friend of mine um, who's very much involved in earth fire, loves animals but doesn't particularly like birds, never did. Didn't want to have much to do with them. She actually said she didn't like them. And then one day this grouse, this wild grouse appeared on her property and came right up to her. And the caretaker named the grouse Gigi. And this has been going on since April, I believe. And as of a few days ago, it was still going on. Gigi simply adopted this woman and she followed her everywhere. There are videos of this. There are stills of this. She said she'd wake up in the morning and Gigi would be sitting outside staring in the bedroom. She said, I'm being stalked by a grouse. They'd go on long walks together, she and her dog and Gigi the grouse. Gigi figured out her schedule and actually was there. Something just happened here. Are you still hearing me? Can you still hear me? You're nodding? I okay. Yes, we can hear you, Susan. Okay. Um, and Gigi figured out when lunch time was or business time was, and she'd be waiting outside the lunchroom, after, outside the breakfast room and outside the lunchroom. And then Gigi disappeared. And no one knew what happened. Now, this is a wild grouse taking care of herself. The woman had not been feeding her nothing. She just adopted her. And then she'd go out into the wild and come back. But when she was gone for a while, this woman said, I don't know what happened to her, but I really miss her. She changed my whole feeling about birds. I now have a deep connection with birds. How does that happen? A client of mine was having a really hard time with addictions and depression. And he was feeling after a girlfriend left him, he just felt like he didn't want to live. He's, he's a very sensitive soul and also really tuned to nature. And he went out into his backyard feeling like he just really didn't want to live. And suddenly this flock of birds came in front of him and just swooped in front of him, left and right and left and right. And suddenly he thought to himself, how beautiful. I am so glad to be alive. There's a woman who um, was a journalist for sharks. I can send you the link to the story later if any of you are interested. And she was a journalist and she would go and write about sharks and she was a shark specialist, but she was a scientist. And she wrote an article that started with, this particular story begins with a tiny shark. I was waist deep in 15 degree water, the centigrade, when I saw it, a miniature creature swimming close to the surface with a beautiful serpentine pattern running down its back. I had been diving along this coastline for five years, but had never seen a shark as small as this one. I stood frozen as it swam towards me. Then, without thinking, I spread my hands and submerged them in the water. The shark pup swam right into them. 
What possessed such a tiny, vulnerable animal to swim up to the water column, up the water column into the hands of a land-dwelling giant like me? This tiny shark changed the way I saw the kelp forest and opened my eyes to a whole new understanding of the natural world. I'm still perplexed as to why this little animal swam into my hands two years ago. Nothing like that has ever happened again. This happened while she was swimming with a naturalist called Craig, who she calls a modern-day shaman for the ocean. And then she went on diving for a while, and nothing happened again. And she began to realize that something was missing. And over the next two years, she just realized something was missing. In August of 2016, she returned from a two-month writing assignment and found herself in the midst of an emotional breakdown that she simply didn't understand. Everything was perfect. She was working with brilliant photographers and giants of the shark world, and it should have been ecstasy that she was miserable. She started waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks, gasping for air. She couldn't work, she couldn't sleep, and she couldn't explain how she was feeling to anyone around. She felt alone. And she thought back to Craig in that experience and asked if she could please study with him. But she was very troubled by it because as a scientist, none of this made any sense to her. But he took her on and they started diving again. And nothing much happened for a little while. And she said, finally, one Saturday in early November, things started to shift. She was starting to leave the water when people said, who she was diving with, said they'd seen an octopus. And there were several of them, and they shape-shifted continuously as they watched, growing horns, changing color, never taking their eyes off. Somehow, something shifted for her. She felt like she was on fire. She knew the water was cold, but rather than resisting, she loved it. Shards of light shone like laser beams as she swam through passages of kelp along massive starfish-covered boulders. She felt like a bird weaving her way through that dense, swaying canopy. Suddenly noticed eyes all around her, a school of dreamfish darting in unison, murmuring like a flock of swallows. She felt part of each of those millions of lives. The golden forest was coming alive inside of her. She said she was more connected and excited to be alive than she could ever remember in her life. And she writes, perhaps those animals were guiding me through the final steps of my initiation. She realized how much she had changed. She resigned from her job. She no longer wanted to fly in and out of beautiful places for a few weeks at a time, but wanted to get to know one place well enough to access this deep nature, a return to the wild that gives her a sense of relationship between humans and the natural world. So there are many stories like that. And the question is, what do they mean? A personal question for all of us is how do we get those experiences, but what does that mean? And I'm going to read one more little piece from something called The Hidden Life of Trees. And the author writes, Years ago, I stumbled across a patch of strange-looking mossy stones in one of the preserves of old beech trees that grows in the forest I manage. Casting my mind back, I realized I had passed by them many times before without paying them any heed. But that day... I stopped and bent down to take a good look. I lifted the moss on one of the stones. What I found underneath was tree bark. So these were not stones after all, but old wood. 
that surprised me most was that I couldn't lift the wood. It was obviously attached to the ground in some way. I took out my pocket knife and carefully scraped away some of the bark until I got down to a greenish layer. Green? This color is found only in chlorophyll, which makes new leaves green. Reserves of chlorophyll are also stored in the trunks of living trees. That could mean only one thing. This piece of wood was still alive. I suddenly noticed that the remaining stones formed a distinct pattern. They were arranged in a circle with a diameter of about five feet. What I had stumbled upon were the gnarled remains of an enormous ancient tree stump. All that was left were vestiges of the outermost edge. The interior had completely rotted, a clear indication that the tree must have been felled at least four or five hundred years earlier. Is that Susan? Yeah. <coughs> but how could the remains have clung on to life for so long? Living cells must have food in the form of sugar. They must breathe, and they must grow at least a little. But without leaves and photosynthesis, it's impossible. No being fast, not even the remains of a tree. It was clear that something else was happening with the stump. It must be getting assistance from neighboring trees. One thing was clear. The surrounding beaches were pumping sugar to the stump to keep it alive. So that takes the picture out even larger. Not just is nature supporting us, perhaps, which I personally feel it is in many levels that we barely tune into, it's supporting other life. All life is supporting all life, is the way that I think about it. So I think I would like to, um, to one living creature is, fast, is connected to another, if you think of it, we're always fascinated by life, and life is always fascinated by us. Animals who aren't afraid come up and want to meet us also. So is there this huge sense of companionship or company waiting there for us? Not the specific company of our specific loved animal, which is beyond wonderful, but something else as well that we're not tuned into because it's not as specific and vivid. And if so, what does that mean? And again, how do you live our lives? On that note, I'd like to say thank you. And sorry you can't see me, but I'd love to start to hear from you. I'm going to start. Take it away, Chelsea. Susan? Yeah? Uh, we will now open up for discussion. And so we would love to hear from all of you. Uh, you are muted, so please unmute yourself before doing so, and please also introduce yourself and say where you are tuning in from. Thank you. Don't be too polite. <laughs> I'll jump in. I'm Wendy Wyatt. I'm here from Los Angeles, California. Hi, Wendy. Hi, it's a pleasure to hear you and I love your institute. Thank you. And the work that you do. Do you have any comments or questions? I sadly jumped in late, so I didn't get to hear all of it, 
Um, I was at, actually at another meeting, but um, I just, I feel <clears throat> that my passion and purpose in life is to facilitate the work um, and to have found you to see what you're doing is just amazing because I think that we need to build the bridge of connection between nature, animals, and humans. And the humans are doing the most destruction to this world, um, but we also have the greatest capacity and power to, to save it and change it. So I'm, I wanna link and connect with others that are connected to that mission. I'll jump in here. Uh, my name's Nikki Simon. I'm with Earthfire. I'm tuning in from Helena, Montana tonight. Um, I've had the pleasure of um, kind of thinking about this topic like all of us um, as we've kind of been making our way up to this conversation. And uh, one interesting notion we kind of talked about was um, not only um, having the awareness to recognize when another being um, reaches out to us and gives us comfort and tends to our needs, um, but also um, the idea that we, uh, it's hard to put this into words. Um, I'm on the spot and I'm all nervous. Uh, for example, um, the birds that Susan spoke of that um, kind of gave this individual um, joy and comfort, kind of the idea of recognizing that joy and comfort and taking it a step further um, and kind of the deeper meaning of why we feel like that, what we were missing in order to feel that, um, and that it goes beyond that single moment and kind of what we're responsible of doing with that energy from, from that point, which um, I thought was kind of an interesting notion to ruminate on. So um, kind of what we do with that moment once we've recognized it. Are you saying we have some kind of responsibility then to take it further and share it further? I think so. I'm sure everything is circumstantial, but um, I, I would I would say that we as other living beings on this planet have a responsibility that um, if we are capable of receiving positive energy from other living beings, be it animals, trees, or insects, um, that we also have a responsibility to emanate the same positive energy. When we walk into the woods, um, it's not just our sole pursuit there are other living beings that are affected by our presence. And I think um, it's a completely different experience if we go into it knowing that we emanate an energy and kind of we have a choice in what energy we choose to share with the things around us. If anyone has thoughts on that? John, yes. are, you, are you available? Can we hear you? You're, you're, like, you can't hear me now, I think. Can so, you hear me? Yeah. You yeah. I'm John, and I'm uh, connected from Perth in Western Australia. 
and it's always great to be part of these conversations. Um, I guess what I'd like to share is an Indigenous uh, uh, elder that I was out on country with once said to me that you don't find spirit, that spirit finds you. And he was talking about the spiritual um, landscape and they see everything as having spirit and being interconnected and as part of their family. And what I find in my work that I, um, is very important when I'm taking people on out into nature in the bush is to um, show up in the right way so that they can, um, you know, a lot of people go out there wanting to push for connection, but at my experience, it doesn't happen that way. It's just so important to be respectful and um, to show up in the right way so that um, nature can find us, so that the spirit of animals and plants and trees can find us as well as Mother Earth. And I just think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And what helps me with that and helps other people with that is to remind them that, you know, we often go out into nature and we're aware that we're perceiving nature, but nature also perceives us and to allow ourselves to be transparent in nature, to allow ourselves to be seen energetically and emotionally, as well as intellectually and physically is a very powerful thing to do. And it can open the door to fairly substantial healing. And so to be in right relationship, I think is very important. So that's it from me. Hi, this is Rose Dedan, Wild Reiki and Shamanic Healing. John, it's nice to see you again. Um, and thank you, everybody that shared so far, because it's um, great to hear that there are other people who share my passion, and I know Susan's passion. Um, and I love the story, Susan, that you shared about the shark. I hadn't heard that one before. Um, that was, that's powerful. And I guess, you know, I'd like to, I guess, briefly share, you know, my perspective on it or the lessons that I've experienced from the animals who have been kind enough to kind of sh show me the way. Um, and as John said, it's about, you know, going in with the right um, openness um, it's coming from the heart, not the head. And there is a reciprocity. They're very, they being all the other beings, you know, be species besides ourselves. They live from a place of heart, a place of energy. So they are constantly aware of what's going on around them from that perspective. And that also means what's going on inside of us. And my experience has been that 
when they know that you are wanting to be in relationship with them, trying your best to find your way to that, when you're in need, they'll respond to that. Um, echoing the story about, you know, the birds. Um, from my perspective, he was open to the message, that gentleman, but I feel also that the birds came to give him that message. And I had a personal experience and I, you know, Susan, do, you know, do I have two minutes to share or should I just like make it really precise? Precise. <laughs> precise. got a lot of people on the call. Okay, great. Um, so I had an experience where I was in a situation with a lot of people who were undergoing a lot of stress from the shamanic training that we were all participating in. And I essentially discovered that I sourced my balance, if you will, from contact with animals, specifically domestic ones. And yet here I was in the middle of nowhere with all these people who were basically chucking their Samsonite all over the place. And I had no way to connect. And I was walking down a dark road um, in the woods and I just had this moment of just complete and total breakdown because there were no animals around that I could connect with. And I sent out this plea from my heart without realizing it, if there was anybody. And out of the darkness came running this cat, this domestic cat, out in the middle of the woods, straight into my arms. I fell to my knees. We had this purr fest in the middle of the road. And it was exactly what I needed. And the next day I talked to the camp people and they said, described, I started to describe the cat and they said, oh, that's the camp cat. But he doesn't hang out with people, especially the campers. And he's kind of standoffish. I was like, really? Okay. So an elephant, what Toto once told me, African elephant teacher, she said, if you um, call us, we will come. But if we come, you must listen. And so that's, that's all I wanted to share. Hi, uh, this is Marta Waterman um, in New York State. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I recently have seemed to be connecting with insects and I never had before. I didn't like them. Um, so a couple days ago, I was sitting out in front of my house having my morning coffee because I like to do that. I like to be outside. And um, there's a, there was another chair next to the one I was sitting in and I realized that there was this daddy long legs that was climbing up the chair. And so I was just watching it because you don't frequently see daddy long legs where I live. So I was watching it, it climbed up and then it started to climb back down and then it was about two feet off the ground and all of a sudden it just dropped and landed on the ground. 
and then it walked up the house all the way up and got to oh maybe the second floor and stopped and it just stayed there so i came inside and i researched daddy long legs because i was intrigued by this and and i had noticed really closely that it had eight legs so i thought maybe it was a spider and so i researched and i found out that it's not a spider it's an arachnid daddy long legs like they're called opinoids and they've been around for like 400 million years. And so I was really intrigued by that. And it said, you know, they're nocturnal. And so this guy was probably, this was morning, it was probably like looking for a place to sleep. So then this morning, two days later, I was sitting out on my patio, which is the other side of the house, having my morning coffee. And all of a sudden I looked down and there was a daddy long legs just kind of walking along. And so I wanted to see it more closely. So I ran inside, I got a magnifying glass and I went back out and it was just kind of sitting there. And then I realized that not only did it have the eight legs, but it had like what looked like another pair of legs right in front. And I looked really closely and it was like reaching down and I have a painted concrete patio. And it was like reaching down and it looked like it was eating something. So I watched it the longest time. I was trying to notice the body shape and blah, blah, blah. So finally it got finished eating or whatever it was doing and um, started walking along and I was following it. And I realized that it was blind because it would like hit the a chair leg and then go around it it looked as if it couldn't see and as if it were using some other way of finding it and that happened twice and then it got to the edge of the patio and there was another daddy long legs and they like touched each other and both went off the side of the patio and i was just like i don't know i never felt this kind of interest and compassion and connection to an insect until the last few months and you know they've been around a lot longer than humans have and i just i don't know what it is i don't know whether that daddy long legs sense my presence but i have to just say that my life gets richer and richer the more that i allow myself to open up to all kinds of living creatures because I think there's divinity in everything. And so I'm glad that I don't hate insects anymore. I don't know whether the connection was, whether, whether that daddy long legs knew that I was there or not, but I know that I felt enriched from it. Thank you. I can jump in again. Marta, you bring up an interesting point, um, too, that as humans, we're um, often limited by our own understanding and language in the world. Um, and it's really interesting when you talk about your um, fascination with these spiders and watching them experience the world as they do and kind of how they move through the world. Um, so it's, it, I guess it's interesting to think about the words we've attached to these emotions, love, comfort, relief, and um, 
how we can really begin to experience the richness that we define them by. Because I think just calling it, oh, I felt relief, it really kind of severs the depth of that emotion and experience. And so I think it, it's really interesting too to think about how we travel through the world with our language and what language all the other beings are using to communicate. Gita, did you want to say something earlier? Yes, I, I, uh, I did. Thank you, Susan. Um, and, and I'm just enjoying everything everybody's saying. Um, Nikki, you were just uh, talking about language, and I think uh, that is a, a, a something that it certainly is opening up for me. I mean, I've always been a language nerd for human language, but I think realizing that too, that it is... Um, it's it's about being curious to understanding that even though we may be using, uh, even as humans use the same word for something, we may not have the same kind of depth structure. Uh, so to be curious about that, that's what you would talk about before, uh, Nikki, about the, the responsibility to pick it up, what, what we are actually, to be open to. And I was thinking when you said that, and your question, Susan, after that, I thought, yeah, well, maybe it's about our sense of privacy that we, we have, um, we, we, we don't really want to realize until we want to that uh, when we're out in nature with animals or with the plants that we're, there is no privacy. I mean, that, that we are being seen all the time, even though we, we think that we are on our own. And to accept that open, that to be open and to be seen in all ways, like what, what you were talking about as well, Martha. That, and I've been thinking about a lot of different um, uh, experiences from my own <laughs> awakening in, into this with the with the animals, and and I have several stories about that. I'm just going to share one of them, which is a quite an old story. Now it was a the dog I had before the one I I or the dog I looked, who looked after me before I'm the one I have now. And um, she was about, I think, 11 or 12 years old at the time, a, a Labrador, and uh, she was getting old. And I was the one who had the heartache, and she was the one who went on heart medication, not because of that, but because she didn't feel well. And the vet said, well, she has a heart problem. And so she went on heart medication, and I, really, I, was, I was very sure straight away that this was her taking on my, my issue. So I said to her, you know, Friar, this is my, this is my issue. You know, don't, you don't have to take this on for me. And uh, the vet was telling me, you know, that this, this is something that she's going to, you know, have to be on until she's not here anymore. And uh, she was also a homeopath, this whole vet. So I said, can we, put, can we give her homeopathic remedies as well as the allopathic medicine said, sure so we did and said but you're not going to get them off it so after a time i've been working on especially taking back the issue and saying you know i can deal with this heartache you don't have to have to take this for me so after a while i could actually wean her off the, the allopathic medicine and after a bit longer i also weaned her off the the uh 
uh, homeopathic medicine and she lived another four years. So without it, the vet, when I told her, she said, I've never, ever seen that before. And I, I, I'm so surprised that you were able to do that. So, so that, that is really another way that the animals are picking up something for us and, and, and taking it on. And if we're not aware of it, you know, it, it just passes and, and they do it. But if we're aware of it, we can change the conversation. So, um, yeah, I'll let it leave it at that. But thank you. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Um, I just have something quick to say, and it's probably very obvious, but um, it just seems that uh, people understand that they need to be quiet and more open and uh, calm and gentle to have wild animals interact with us. Um, because we, we obviously, we don't want to scare them, right? And I've had, you know, a hummingbird sit on my hand a couple of times in my life. It's always very thrilling. Um, deer and wild turkey and uh, other animals are in my yard every day. Not that, not that they come up and touch me, but they come very close and they, they're not afraid. Um, and my spouse and I get a lot of joy from seeing them come up so close to us. And so, but that, that feeling of we, we know we have to be gentle, quiet, move slowly, not to scare them. And it's sort of intuitive when you're wanting to contact wild creatures. But it's really interesting that we don't seem to do that when we meet people. We don't approach people with that same openness and uh, gentleness. But we know how to do that with animals. And it's, uh, it's just curious to me that we are, we're so guarded and defensive around human beings that we don't know and don't trust. And that's all I have to say, that we can learn a lot from the way we are with animals. If we could be that way with people, wouldn't that be nice? That's all. Um, do you mind if I say, speak to this a little bit, Susan? Oh, please, it's your conversation. Yeah, Kathy, um, thank you so much for speaking to that. Uh, it's I think it's really important. And one of the, um, in all the happiness research, the sense of belonging that comes from meaningful relationships is at the top of the wazza. And it is absolutely critical. And in the world today, many people uh, feel unsafe and untrusting of others. And so, um, and with the breakdown of community and family structures, uh, a lot of people are very isolated. And so they are deprived of meaningful relationships. And of course that's exploited and 
what's given to them as meaningful relationships is relationships with companies and products and goods and services. And it's a real challenge for people to find meaningful relationship. And in our work, by taking people into nature, is it's a very safe place for people to re-establish meaningful relationship. And, um, and it re-enchants their world. And we find that giving people the opportunity in nature to rediscover meaningful relationship with nature, then they can, those people begin to develop meaningful relationship with each other. And then they can take that out uh, into the world in their other relationships. And it's kind of like we've lost our way so much that, uh, you know, nature is the teacher. And by returning to nature in this way and reconnecting, there are some very powerful teachings, very powerful spiritual medicine that realigns us and, and reconnects us so that we can be in right relationship, not just with nature, but with each other. And so, again, thank you so much for bringing that up. It's something very powerful for me, and, um, and, and I feel very important. I would just like to add as well um, what it reminded me of, Kathy, is I went to a meditation retreat, um, and... He was saying that one of the reasons we can be so open with nature is because nature has no ego. And the relationships we have with humans are very much conflicted with our ego and that other human you're relating to. But in nature, we can lose that. And so we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and leave our own ego as well. And I think that's when the strongest messages can occur is when we have that vulnerability. Um, and it makes me think of this idea of receiving messages from nature and, and on an even larger scale than just um, seeking it for maybe personal reasons, but what it could mean to the world as a whole if if we could start to create solutions that are not taking from, but inspired by nature, um, the field of, of biomimicry is, is just that, if you've heard of it. Um, there's a beautiful TED talk by a woman, Janine something, I could send it out later, but uh, she talks about how we often forget that the other living beings on this planet have been living and evolving and adapting to sustain life far longer than humans have. And they have, you know, thinking of, of Marta's um, the experience with the daddy long leg, that, that those animals have been here for 400 million years. There's a lot of species that have been here and have that experience with them. And if we could pull those messages of how they've adapted to live and sustain a planet for other life, not only themselves, I just think of what endless possibilities we as humans could create.
It's Marta again. I completely agree with that. And I think a huge part of what we were just saying about getting out of the ego because nature doesn't have an ego. And so when we immerse ourselves there, we start to lose our own ego. And um, I just, I just really wanted to interject how, how much I resonate with what you just said, because um, we're all part of this living organism. I even believe that the planet is alive. Gaia is alive. And we're all supported by the planet. And we're all participants in this amazing thing called life. And the more that we can honor not only the animals and the plants, but each other as well, and see that there's divinity, there is sacredness in all things, in all beings, all people, all, all beings. Um, the more that we can recognize that beauty and that connectedness that we all have, um, as we find that center within ourselves, I think even sometimes without saying anything to other people, other people can pick up on that. And as we are willing to be friendly with people um, and just smile and feel an inclusive sense with other people rather than like shutting them out, um, I think that little by little, as we put out beautiful loving vibes into our surroundings whether it be nature um, plants trees animals or other human beings we can only be on the right path we can't we can't be detracting from from life we can be adding to it and i think that as we um, see this as an opportunity and as a responsibility. And I feel like everybody in this conversation is all part of that. And I just am really so happy to be part of this conversation because of what all the rest of you are bringing to it and your hearts and souls. I really feel it. So this means a lot to me. Thank you, Susan, for facilitating this whole thing. Yes, I, Gita, I, I'd like to add to, to that too, Martha. I was thinking about it when you, Nikki, before you said uh, it's difficult to put it into words because, you know, being on the spot and everything. And I thought, yeah, well, this is, this is, this is a space for me. And, 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 and this is a group where, you know, again, you could talk about losing our ego, but it, it's, it's all about daring to really um, take in the unconditional love that's being offered to us here in this group. And, and that's what the animals, that's what nature do that does. That's, that's what Gaia does. That's if we're but willing to open up to it. And I think that's uh, thinking it, we're so much in a world uh, these days where people's attention span gets shorter and shorter and they're, you know, they're, they're everything, all the different impulses that we're getting, uh, getting 
is expanding hugely. And so what we're doing here and trying to do with our lives, I believe, is, 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 is going in the, in the opposite direction. And, and maybe that's another thing to be aware of, that we're up against uh, our environment where, where attention span gets shorter and shorter and, and to the whole mindfulness thing uh, is, not, is not practiced very much. So um, to open up to that, I think, is, um, is essential. The unconditional love that we are offered, and do we dare to to, to meet it? Do we dare to accept it? It's scary. <laughs> it's scary to open up because then we feel vulnerable. But um, one of the things I'm hoping for 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 us, this group here, is because there is so much energy fighting us against it. We need to be supporting one another. That's one of the major focus is here to support one another, to encourage one another, so we can support and encourage more people in this way of uh, sort of pushing counter energy. I don't want to say against because that's not a good word, but um, counter energy so that, so that this bubble grows and grows and then the other bubbles that grow and grow. That's my hope for these conversations. that um i would love to open the floor to anyone who maybe hasn't shared yet and would like to we just have a few minutes left um, we are going to make an announcement at the end so if anyone would like to share something please do hi um this is amy tap can you hear me yes oh hi um i just wanted to share something which was more in the nature of my relationship with an animal entity which was a great cat bird and it was kind of more like roses um i love the storytelling and uh also tuning into your childlike nature and um i i often think that sometimes that really helps us to connect and uh so one day i had these blueberries and they were not human perfect blueberries and i thought to myself well let me just pitch these blueberries and right as my hand was hovering over the little waste receptacle to throw them out i paused mid throw and i said well wait wait a minute um maybe the birds would like these so i went out to my little backyard and have um, a wonderful like flowering plant there in a basket and I thought to myself well um, would the birds really like these or maybe it's my imagination but oh well we'll we'll figure this out so I I was ready with the container in my hand and I was like okay so where shall I put these and lo and behold in the edge of the property where there's some cypresses and some mulch was a gray catbird. And the gray catbird was looking at me and I was looking at her and I was like, oh, okay, uh, do you want these blueberries? And so I, I th thought, well, all right, let's check it out. 
So I'm a pretty good toss. And I toss one over to Gray Catbird. And she cocked her head and she looked at me and she looked at the blueberry, which was pretty near her feet, her, you know, toes. And she took the, took the blueberry. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. So where should I put these? And so I, I actually ended up putting them in the, the basket where the plant was. And then I, you know, I had a little bit of them there and I went back inside and had my coffee and I was like looking out the window and all of a sudden on the bird feeder perch, um, I saw the great cat bird and she was there on the perch and I couldn't figure out how to download the video to share you with you guys tonight. But this little gray cat bird was doing this thing called the happy dance. And she was on the perch next to my, you know, the, the metal cardinal, uh, like the angel topper on the Christmas tree. She was going hop, 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 loving it, loving it. And swooping down into the basket in the flower tray with the blueberries and saying, yes, thank you. This is exactly what I wanted. So I just wanted to share that to you. And that was just some energy of childlike joy and wonder. And I think when we kind of connect with that, we also connect with the animals. So thank you everyone for sharing tonight. Thanks, Amy. So, um, many wonderful things. I'm gonna just, a couple of things that stuck out to me were John talking about um, that if we, we need to not push the connection so that when we're out there, nature can find us and allow ourselves to be seen. Or a beautiful statement, beautiful statement by Rose. Or Rose, I think you would say it wasn't from you, it's from someone else. But if you call us, we will come. But if we come, you must listen. And uh, your beautiful comment, Gita, about people, not people, about um, animals, and another way that animals support us by picking up some of our own issues, trying to help us in a way by carrying them. Um, just so many beautiful thoughts you all shared. One of the things, we, we're, so this has been our fifth conversation, and we keep trying to find our way to the best way to have these. Next week, we're having a staff retreat. We're all gonna be huddled up in the yurt, um, eating there and just spending a lot of time together trying to explore what do we want to do with these conversations? What are great topics? Um, how should we proceed? And I would love to have you, you all give your input into that. You can email us, call. Um, how, should, how should we proceed? We're going to continue in any case once a month. Um, do we do it in groupings of a, a theme? Like we originally, one theme was that how the animals heal the earth, how help, etc. Um, so your input is actively wanted, invited, welcome. Um, a, sort of a side issue that's an issue for me, which is um, where do we where do we place these as when we try to explain to other people what we're trying to do here? The closest field really we're able to come up with would be 
spiritual ecology, but the word spiritual has all kinds of meanings for lots of different people. Or this um, deep ecology, where there's an idea of everything having inherent worth. But is there something we're trying to do here that we can encapsulate in a few words that would get it across to other people? I'd be very delighted to hear some of your suggestions on that as well. So you're all invited to that. Um, Chelsea will finish up here, but I just want to say again, I'm just it's so wonderful to have you here and to have the level of conversation we're having. And you might thank me, but I thank you, all of you, for the richness you're adding to all of us. So thank you. Yes, a, a big thank you from uh, all of us at Earth Fire. And it, it really wouldn't be possible without the community that uh, we are all collectively creating. And so it's so beautiful to have this every month. Um, I know I certainly look forward to it and cherish the space. Um, as always, we will be offering this recording on our website. So that will be up by Friday and you can download it or share it. And the next conversation will be in um, a, a month again, and it will be the third Wednesday of October. So that falls on October 18th, uh, 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Again, thank you all for joining um, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Sorry, you can't see me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, John. Lovely to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. And good to hear your voice again, Rose. Ah, there you are. Yeah. Nice to hear you too.